Tank Streamlabs. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tankstream Speaks. Today we are joined with one of our alumni members, Brent Pearson, the CEO and founder of Border. Brent, welcome to Tankstream Speaks. Thanks, Brad. Good to be here. Great, Brent. Now, I remember the days when you started in Tankstream Labs back in early 2015, 16, and you started with a very small team just in our Bridge Street location, sitting opposite the window, just the team of three of you. And now your company is expanding globally. You've got over 150 employees and the growth has been phenomenal in such a short period of time. Onboarder, I think, has been a great product. We've used it ourselves as a platform in the early years. Can you just tell us a bit about the business, how it started, and the growth today? Yeah, it's interesting. I wanted to start my own business after you know working for a bunch of others. I was looking around at sort of product ideas. I came up with a, um, a prototype of an idea that I had, and I took it out to my, my network. And my network is mainly HR professionals. And I said to them, I said, look, I want to show you something, and I don't want you to sort of blow smoke at me. I want you to kind of tell me if this is something you'd buy. And I pitched them my little two or three PowerPoint slides. I showed them my prototype. And what I got back was, um, yeah, it's okay, Brent, but, and everyone was giving me a but. So I knew the idea wasn't right. But in my prototype, I had this little button which said on board and everyone was drawn to that. And so I kind of thought, you know what? My original idea is clearly off the mark, but I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to dive into this area because this seems to be a pain point. And so I just looked into the topic of employee onboarding. I read everything I could find, came across an academic paper. And what they were trying to study was whether or not the way you brought someone into your organization had any direct correlation to key business metrics like staff retention and customer satisfaction. And the punchline was, yes, where you created a great onboarding experience, you could reduce first year staff turnover by 50%. And so that was my kind of light bulb moment where I thought, wow, this is not just some warm, fuzzy, nice to have. There's a pretty compelling business case around this. And when I looked in the market, there's no one else doing it. So I kind of found my unique offering and that was um, how Onboarder started. And what is Onboarder and how does the platform work? It's a workflow automation platform. So it's designed primarily to be used by HR professionals. When you bring someone into your organization, it's a really critical moment. And if you get it right, you can create uh, an amazing experience and an engaged employee. And I think everyone has a horror story of where they've got it wrong, right? You've found this amazing person and then you bring them into the organization and the company's not ready for them or the manager's not ready for them. You do that and people will very quickly make a, a decision in their mind that this company doesn't value me and guess what? They will churn. So we started with onboarding, but we quickly found that the platform that we built it can be used for creating any sort of experiences that are important for people. You know, parental leave, think about that as a, a life-changing time. And again, if a company deals with it well, you build all of this sort of capital with the employee. Our platform is used for any type of experience goes to plan and against the sort of ideal journey that you design on our platform. Okay, so who are your type of clients then? Do you work with smaller businesses, large corporates, yeah. international businesses? So more with the larger end. So our ideal customer starts at about 200 employees and then it goes up to Fortune 100 companies. So in Australia, we had Westpac and Qantas. We had some pretty big Aussie companies that jumped on pretty early on. But now it just seems like everyone's realizing this is something that they need to um, get on board with. Is there any particular industry as well that you focus on? We go across industries, white collar, blue collar, hourly, salaried. It, it really makes no difference. What would you say is probably the one key metric, though, that really stands out when you go and pitch the, the products to, to customers? 
Yeah, I'd say probably the number one metric would be reduction in first-year staff turnover. And staff turnover is unbelievably expensive, just the cost of recruiting. But then you add on to that the cost of training and ramping someone up. So you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars cost every time someone leaves your organization. Yeah, and, and from, from your experience of working with some clients, I mean, you must have some real success stories. Yeah, so often customers will implement us and then they'll do the analysis and they'll do a pretty hard analysis to see what is the impact on our year one turnover. I would say on average, we're, we're probably impacting, reducing it by 25, 30%, but in some cases we've gone up to 50% reduction wow, in first yeah. year turnover. Yeah. Um, it's not like just playing around the edges. It can be quite significant. As a product had to be slightly developed over time to enhance the experience for employees who do remote work? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, when COVID hit, you know, that was actually a great growth opportunity for, for um, our company because people realized um, after that initial sort of shock of COVID that life was going to go on and they were still going to hire, but now people were being hired and starting in their own home. And now they had a remote onboarding challenge of how do you do that? But now I think the challenge is different. Um, I think COVID has created now this sort of remote, hybrid, sort of largely disengaged workforce. And I think the challenge now is how do I re-engage the workforce? And I think that's a, a huge challenge that companies have to address. And um, I was reading just today, uh, a study just came out and they talked about uh, employee engagement has now dropped for three years in a row, which clearly coincides with, with um, COVID. And, but it's dropped even more with Gen Z, right? So Gen Z are becoming more disengaged. And so I think they're sort of, it's a really interesting challenge. If I've got this remote hybrid workforce, but I've got a growing disengaged workforce, what am I, what am I gonna do? How do I rebuild my culture? How do I reconnect my people? So a lot of our product strategy and direction now is, not just in creating a great experience, but rebuilding those connections between staff. And I completely see where you're coming from with, with that because we, we work day in, day out with techs, high growth companies, and that's a key issue that they're facing, you know, trying to engage with our workforce who are working remotely. And we've seen for us, particularly growth in those companies who want to come back to the office, but more on a part-time basis, but are coming back to the office for only employees to get together, to create that collaboration, to create that social integration to the teams. And so, you know, to those businesses, it's really important that employees are brought back together for that engagement piece. And I'll, I'll tell you why it's going to be so important. You know, I, I've been in um, HR space for, I don't know, most of my career, 30, 30 plus years. And I've watched the, the demographics that are sort of underpinning um, our workforce now for quite some time. We are now seeing the baby boomers retire. Okay. But think about this, right? We've got in the next seven years, our workforce is only going to grow by about two or 3% in Australia. Okay. In seven years. So it's essentially flat. On top of that, we've got all the baby boomers retiring. So we've got this huge growth in elderly that are going to require more workforce to look after them. So, and right now we've got a lot of companies have got their breaks on hiring, especially tech companies. It's like hiring freeze, you know, or even layoffs. I really believe that once we get through this sort of cloud of the economic uncertainty that's over us now, I think companies are going to say, great, okay, let's go into growth mode again. Let's start hiring. And we're going to have, headhunters and recruiters and everybody's going to be going after your staff. And if they're not engaged, we're going to see staff turnover going through the roof. And it's going to start this horrible spiral of um, how do I attract and how do I retain staff? And I think that if we thought it was tough in the last few years, I, I predict it's going to get tougher. Great. Okay. Well, we'll look to that crystal ball and see where we're, where we're at in seven years, Brett. Yeah. <laughs>
Now, going back to the business itself, over the years since you started, you've raised multiple funding rounds, you've expanded globally, you now have offices in multiple global locations. Yeah. I mean, congratulations on that. Uh, that you. must be particularly challenging for you yeah. over the years, not just raising the capital, but then also expanding globally and building teams out in different um, geographical locations. You know, is, is there any you know, experiences or key takeaways that you would want to share with other founders who are listening, who might be looking at, you know, expanding globally? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, when you start off, right, and you've got your employees in one sort of location or in one country, it's pretty easy to get a handle on culture, okay? And, and it's pretty easy to control the culture. But as you start expanding to different regions, I would say, that first pivotal employee that you hire is absolutely critical. They're going to be your cultural linchpin. And I've, um, I've seen this where, for example, in London, we hired someone and that person turned out to be an amazing hire. And they, they reflected that they were just a great sort of repeater or magnifier of our culture. In the US, I hired someone who was not such a good fit. And we've struggled to constantly get that culture dialed in in the same way. So I think that thinking about your first hire in a new region, being really, really careful about them and just being sure or moving someone across, if you can, from the mothership to the remote satellite, um, sort of advocate for your culture, I think is pretty important. Really good advice. I must admit, a, a number of startup companies who've expanded overseas that I've worked with have taken key employees overseas and yeah. used them to grow the business in those locations. So very, very good point you raised there. Going back to the funding piece, though, I mean, f congratulations as well on your recent fundraise. Thank you. Is there any advice that you would give to founders who are listening around fundraising? What I've noticed with fundraising is is, is it changes. As you, I've, We've done three rounds. We've done a seed round. We've done a Series A and a Series B. So with a seed round, you know, they're essentially investing in you as the founder. And so it is about the vision. It's about your ability to execute that they're really buying into and, you know, some early product market fit. As you start getting into the sort of series A, then it is more about, you know, your growth and it's your ability to start scaling up and really growing. By the time you get to the series B, what I've noticed now is it's all about the economics and the metrics, right? So they will take your data and they'll throw it through their models and it'll spit out all of the metrics which they use to benchmark and, and analyze your business. And even if you can do the jazz hands and really get people excited and you've got a killer you know, PowerPoint pitch deck, if you don't have your metrics where they should be, it'll become much harder to capital raise as you get later on. And the other thing I'd say is like capital raising, it can be brutal. You know, It's like every time you go out there and you start talking to a potential investor, they all look at you like you're the prettiest girl at the dance, right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you start getting the nose and you feel like the ugly girl sitting in the corner. <laughs> I've, I've heard that many times, you know, it's, uh, you have to have pretty thick skin yeah, when, totally. you're, when you're pitching to investors. You do. And it's also good to have a, I think um, if you've got a support network of other founders around you that have been through that, you know, because often when you think that, hey, you know, I'm ugly, nobody likes me, they'll be like, yeah, I felt exactly like that. I pitched this many times. This is part of the process. Uh, the other thing I'd say is don't leave your run too late. Um, we had one particular instance where we were raising um, for one of our rounds and we signed a term sheet. Um, we pushed, pushed things as far as we could in terms of uh, the timing so that we would get the highest valuation. And, uh, and this particular investor did due diligence, um, took us through due diligence and it turned into due diligence hell. And it kind of went twice as long as we expected. 
And then we were literally out of cash, like, I mean, out of cash running on fumes. And um, at the 11th hour, they went, yeah, nah, we're not going to invest in you. And um, luckily, our, we kind of planned for that. And our existing investors, um, you know, supported us and, and we, we did a little bridge round. But um, had we not had the support of those investors, we would have been screwed and we would have been at the mercy of that investor to renegotiate the terms and kind of really screw us. So um, always assume it's going to take twice as long and be twice as hard. Yeah, I mean, part of the advice I always hear and also, you know, speak to founders about is as soon as you've you've completed a round, always start thinking about potentially the next round and, yeah. you know, always have that at the back of your mind and always give yourself sufficient runway and make sure that you're on top of your cash flows as well. Yeah, it's interesting time right now. You know, the, the whole investor world has just changed big time in two years. Two years ago, it was always about the the race to get market share. You know, just, just grab share, be a leader. It's, it's all about growth. And then we saw um, probably about a year ago it changed from growth at all costs to responsible growth. That was the term. And now it's profitable growth. That's the term that the VCs are using. And so just the whole way that VCs look at you and what they expect out of you has changed big time. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Profitability these days. Yeah. Now, going back to the, the actual product itself, what question do you think potential customers should be asking you about the platform? I, th I think... They should be asking, does it work? What will it do? You know, what can I expect in terms of results? And um, because I think that's sort of building the, the case for them in justification. And I think they should be setting targets for what they want the, the platform to do. And then they should be holding us and themselves accountable for delivering those targets. And if they don't have, tar if they don't have targets, if they're just trying to, if they're doing it because the CEOs just complained about their cousin who had a poor onboarding experience when they joined the company, they won't know whether they've achieved the goals. So I think setting the goals of what is it that they're looking to accomplish when they put not just our system, but any system in place, and then me measuring against that, I think is really important. So if I'm a business listening to this podcast today and I'm interested in the product, how would I go about finding more information? You just come to our website, emboarder.com. You know, there's a lot of product information there. You can ask for a demo. We'll give you a demo and show you the product, but you can find us pretty much in any market. Great. Okay, Brent. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. It's been great to see the growth of Embolder over the years and fantastic achievements where you're at today. So, you know, credit to you and congratulations. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Dreamlabs. Ample. Here, here. Is this thing on? Yeah, that's on. Don't touch that.